Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Sokdi Bimai. I'm Michelle Miao, host of the Michelle Miao Show and also a member of the Board of Governors for the Commonwealth Club of California, one of the longest, or I should say, actually, it is the longest and oldest running public affairs forum in the country. We're so excited for tonight. It is history in its making. I think we had the first Lao celebration at the Commonwealth Club of California last year. And so we're on to something. It's become a tradition. This is the second annual program. And we have a great program coming up for you. Stories from uh, veterans from the secret war. We also have updates to AB 1393 or an ethnic studies bill in which we have inclusion of uh, ethnic history in our model curriculum. And tonight we're talking about Lao history and culture, a fish sauce, an instant papaya salad sauce. This is a dream come true for someone like me. And also a special performance and even Nangpi, which is called, uh, it's horror films and they're Lao horror films with someone who's also made history. So we've got an exciting night. I hope you you have your drink ready. My drink of choice tonight is in this kind of a glass. Uh, We're celebrating, we're celebrating Lao New Year tonight, but also want to send everyone warm wishes to those who are celebrating Southeast Asian New Year, as well as the spring holidays in the South Asian community. Before we get started with our program, here's Allie and Polly from Allie, Polly and Associates with a special message. Sabadi Bimai. Sabadi. I'm Ali. I'm Polly. We are Allie, Polly and Associates. Happy Southeast Asian New Year. Sabadi Bimai. We're so honored and excited to support this virtual Lao New Year. I know it's been a challenging time for all of us right now, and but for sure, we are hopeful that we will be able to get together this coming year. That's right, Polly. We're so excited to share Lao culture and the history with you. Being here celebrating us is how to show love and build the community, right? The community strength and security is so important to us, especially your financial security. Um, If you ever have any questions, especially around the changing tax codes, just reach out to us at alipollyandassociates.com. Thank you so much, Ali and Polly, and thank you for, for making tonight happen. This is so special. And again, it's history and it's making. All right, let's get started with our program. So from 1964 to 1973, the CIA executed a secret operative to fight against communist Patet Laos, or the allies of North Vietnam and the Soviet Union. They dropped millions of bombs in which many still have not detonated till this day. The lives of those they recruited for this operation have been heavily impacted, as well as many people were displaced, many Lao people were displaced and left without a home. And so tonight we're honored to have with us veterans who fought in the secret war. I'd like to welcome Colonel Med Ratana and Major Chanto Vorasan and also David Pomavong, whose father uh, served in the secret war as part of SGU Scorpion Unit. Welcome all and thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with uh, Colonel Med Ratana. And tonight we want to hear your story. Share with us, you know, the role that you had during the secret war and a memory, um, something, you know, I'm sure there's so many memories, but yeah, we want to hear your story tonight. Sabadi, Michelle, and the, the rest of the panel. 
My name is Mayor Rotana. I'd like to thank Michelle and David for inviting me into, into your program. Mayor Rotana is my name, and I am a veteran of Royal Lao Army for 14 years. Uh, I, <clears throat> I have been, uh, my last rank was uh, major instead of colonel. This was major, actually. So uh, I took command. I, I have assignment, different assignment, like, uh, you know, command and staff, uh, S3 operation and also a com company commander and a battalion commander and finally a GM you know, commander of the Royal Law Army. I did uh, cooperate and work with the SU, but actually, you know, my my whole career is uh, it's with the Royal, Royal Law Army. But uh, I know we, I have friends and uh, because it, the SU are uh, in the secret war, we know that they're not the, uh, the Origin of the of the SEU or secret war or secret operation uh, derived from the uh, from the conflict, uh, you know, the, the own conflicts, uh, the you know, the Cold War, Indochina War, that involved the Laos and Cambodia and, and Vietnam. At the time, Vietnam was uh, divided in two: North Vietnam and South Vietnam. Unfortunately, Laos was uh, supposed to be neutral. Okay. Per you know previous you know international agreement, but uh, since Laos has over uh, thousand of kilometer of border with Vietnam, it's uh, it's uh, that 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 brought Laos into the conflict you know by default or whatever. So uh, you know the, the 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 U.S. force has to fight two two war first to prevent you know the. North Vietnamese to take over Vietnam, South Vietnam, but also to uh, to stop you know the Vietnamese North Vietnamese force to advance to the west and to uh, invade you know conquer you know the, the country of Laos, Thailand, Burma, Malaysia, and so on. So you know uh, that's why you know we uh, the U.S. has a has a the sponsor you know created you know the secret army. They recruit, they train, you know, and uh, they they undertake the whole, you know, uh, you know, financial, you know, uh, operational, you know, and they, they conduct the war themselves, and so they uh, they recruit uh, ten thousand of uh, of Lao, you know, soldier, uh, mostly come from the Royal Lao Army to to uh, uh, as cadre for the for the troop. So uh, the, the name come from you know. Special Guerrilla Unit or SGU, so it's uh, actually the operation constitute you know army of a, of a secret you know, army to fight the, the Vietnamese force. So uh, ten thousand of Lao you know join the force, and they uh, you know for several years they, 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 there was tremendous loss of uh, loss of life and, uh, and the family life uh, destruction of uh, you know the property and life and wounded. So uh, in several years, you know, uh, those people have uh, have uh, sacrificed and uh, and fight, you know, for the cause that they believe this is, this is the right cause. They fight for the the, the size of, of the fight for freedom, because at the time, you know, it was the 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 two ideological, you know, force that uh, come to, to confront each other, and then uh, the the those allow uh, people that. That uh, fought for the with the America have to suffer when America left the country. The, 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 when they, they they withdraw from, from from Vietnam War, 
So, you know, they, those people, they, they have to, to leave the country. They have to flee for their life because of, uh, you know, the winning side would, would brand it as, a, you know, as co collaborator of the or enemy of, 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 the, of, of the force. So they have to flee for their life, their families, and thousands of people, you know, come to, to America. And uh, that, that's the, how the story, you know, of the SEO and uh, their family now is the, it's in, 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 in this country. Uh, so they have to cope with, you know, a lot of things, but we need to, to recognize this, this, their sacrifice. We need to recognize them for their honor, for their dignity, you know, and I appreciate, you know, uh, uh, David and and uh, Lao American uh, voice to uh, to take over, take over the, the fight and, and 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 you know and try to get benefit and try to get this action by a, a hero you know to uh, to be recognized and uh, if possible to get some benefit that they they rightly deserve that's why we are for. And Chanto also, you know, would, would tell you more about uh, what uh, they, they did, you know, what, what they, you know, and what the action was, you know. And uh, I, I cooperate with them a lot, you know, because I, I also was part of, of the, the fight because the America under Laos was a neutral country, but uh, a tacit agreement from, from the Laos government, you know, let the American operate. You know, and support the whole, you know, the whole war effort in Laos. That that's why you know uh, we are we are ally of, of the, the the USA. That's the whole the whole Royal Lao Army was allied because the America financed, you know, the, the material, war material, everything, ammunition, you know, they 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 were provided by by the by the U.S. forces. So uh, we can we can say proudly that we were allied. To the to America to the U.S. force. That's why you know we on on the law you know uh, a soldier that uh, need to be recognized. You know that those who are in this country right now need to be recognized uh, and honor. You know as as uh, contributing contributing to the 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 war effort. And by by doing so, we 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 save a lot of life uh, American life in South Vietnam because. You know, we 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 better you know combat you know the, those forces along the the Ho Chi Minh Trail that go through Laos. You know, and uh, we that, that that's uh, one thing that need to be recognized and and for for those uh, those heroic action. Thank you so much for sharing that, and uh, thank you for your service. And we'll talk a little bit more about benefits. It's really hard for me to sit here and listen to the fact that after your service, and it's been twenty years later we're still fighting for benefits for our veterans. That's right. Folks like you who have fought. Um, Lumpa Chanto, we'd love to hear your story. I know that, yeah, I was able to read an article in the Tampa Bay Times that gave us a little glimpse of how the secret war affected you and your family. Um, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for allowing me to be uh, one of the panel members today. And then um, my name is Chantou Vorosan, uh, former Royal Armed Forces Major. I spent uh, my whole life, uh, 15 years in the military service. Uh, after I graduated from military academy and become a junior officer in 1961, then uh, I was uh, sent out to the battlefield for four years. 
So uh, acting as a, first is a assistant company commander, then company commander, and then assistant battalion commander, and then S2 of the mobile group of the, of the brigade. Um, upon my uh, training in the United States for a couple of times, and then I was then assigned to the Army Supreme Headquarters in Vientiane for since 1966 until 1975. And uh, the job I'm actually doing, it's uh, I'm involved in military intelligence division and acting as a combat intelligence assistant chief of uh, office of bureau. And then the last three, three years of, in, of my service in uh, intelligence division, I was uh, nominated as a chief of administration of Lao Armed Forces Intelligence Division. Um, unfortunately, you know, after the communists took over in 1975, I was taken as prisoner of war for 11 years, from 1975 up until uh, uh, early 1986. Upon my release, um, I fled with my whole family uh, to Thailand and then resettled in the United States uh, in August 7, 1987. Um, I just want to go back a little bit about what I'm doing while I was in the um, front line. The first four years of my uh, career officer, uh, infantry officer, as you know, um, I was operated most of my four years in the battlefield located in third military region. It means in Kamwon province and Savanakhet province. And then um, after that, uh, while, while I was assigned as assistant intelligence uh, officer in the Army Supreme Headquarters Intelligence Division, um, my primary job is to, you know, every day I have to uh, collect information from every part of the country, of every military region. Then I make an assessment and then make an uh, analysis and then write a daily report to the higher Supreme Headquarters. That's my primary and daily uh, work assignment. Okay. Now, in case of then when there is the when the situation is very critical in any military region front line, sometimes I have to assign for like a couple of weeks into that front line and work with the uh, the, the uh, front line commander, operation commander in, in the area, and then come back to the uh, headquarters, and also. While I was uh, acting as a assistant office uh, member, I was also uh, doing the daily briefing every day, intelligent briefing in the Army Supreme Headquarters, as well as acting as a liaison with the US Army Attaché Office and the area of Attaché in Vientiane. So those are my primary job when I was in, in the army. 
So um, my most unfortunate time in life was being captured and sent to the prison for 11 years. As you know, the prison can be Laos. It's just like every other uh, prison camp in the world. You know, we have uh, to do the hard work, no medication, under fair condition, and there's no outside world contact. So uh, my life at that time was completely, you know, uh, hopeless. So unfortunately, upon my release, and then we were able to flee with the whole family. And while I was in Thailand for about a year, I was acting. I was hired by the U.S. Embassy as interpreter, INS, and EAO officer in uh, interpreter in, in the, the camp. So when I came to the United States, I had to start from zero again from my life. You know, bare hands, but full of hopes, and you still have something, some good thing in mind. So I've been my first four years in universities. And then after that, uh, when I got my US citizen, and then I was fortunate enough to be hired as a French teacher in uh, Lithuania High School in Georgia for 15 years. And then I retired at age 70 in, 19, uh, in 2013. Then and now I'm now moving down and stay, you know, with my children in St. Petersburg, Florida. Right now, basically I'm um, working with the community service and uh, as the, the chairman of the board of directors of the Law Arts and Cultural Foundation in St. Peter's, Florida, that um, we have a, a very good plan in trying to restore this place as a World Heritage Center in, in St. Petersburg. So um, anyone who is um, who have a chance to visit Florida and St. Petersburg, please swing by to visit us at the center. It's at uh, 4090 Avenue, North St. Petersburg, Florida. Please come by and visit us. Um, now I'm living um, with uh, surrounded by my seven children together in Pinellas County, Florida. And then um, I'm very pleased to be able to have a chance to join the club and have a chance to express how my life has been uh, going on in the past. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lung, and thank you again for your service and an incredible story and being reunited with your family after being apart and having to uh, and being imprisoned and 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 again also very hard to hear that after so many years still fighting for benefits for folks like you who served in the war and so David you know you are co-founder of the Laotian American National Voice and also co-chair of the organization Secret War Veterans Benefit and so. I know your father served in the war, um, but for you, it's not only personal, but this is, it, the advocacy is community-wide. You're doing so much to fight for benefits and access to benefits for the, our Lao American veterans. Um, tell us, you know, 
what's missing? What, how are we, how is the country not taking care of folks like uh, Lung Paul Med and Chanto? Yeah, so <clears throat> it comes back to um, you know, the fact that there's a, the word secret in front of war. And the secret war implies that there's been a lot of documentations uh, by the CIA that have been largely classified. And so it's not released to the public. It's not readily known to the public. Uh, but the CIA has started to declassify a lot of information now. So there's been numerous books written about it. There's been uh, movies made about it. Uh, so it's not as popular as what you've seen in Cambodia, for example, with the Pol Pot regime. Uh, that obviously has its own challenges. But in particular with the secret war, uh, it's not, there's not a whole lot that's known about it. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, the, like Paulum Med said, um, Laos declared itself a neutral country. So based on the Geneva Convention, uh, no foreign uh, nationals could be in Laos. And so they found their way into the operations uh, by doing covert operations. 1954, French commandos landed in the plain of Jars. Jars. And then, of course, the CIA operations supporting the French um, regime, which is an ally to the U.S. at the time, and still is a U.S. ally. And so the United States was involved in that war as well, too. So when I was younger, I, I didn't know very much about it, Michelle. Uh, in fact, my first time to discover about the secret war was my uh, high school year. I was uh, in a library. I got bored and I pulled down a book and I started reading a little bit more about the secret war, learned some basic facts about it. But it wasn't until more recently with my involvement with uh, the secret war veterans benefits that I've gotten to know Paulung Med, Paulung Chanto, and many other veterans as well, too. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier that my father did fight in the secret war. He was in the Scorpion unit, uh, also known as a suicide unit. And so, you know, I'm, I'm helping the, our veterans uh, to uh, seek for benefits uh, for them to receive what's entitled to them because they were an extension of the CIA forces. But it's been a long, hard journey for our veterans. I mean, they've been fighting for recognition for over 20 years. They made some gains along the way, but most of it is uh, ceremonial gestures. So what I mean by that is, is, I'll just give you a little bit of a history here. So in 1990, the Lao Veterans of America was formed. So you see uh, my virtual background there. My dad was uh, honored and, and received a certificate for that. In 1997, there was a monument that was erected in uh, Arlington National Cemetery uh, by Lao Veterans of America to honor Laotian and Hmong veterans. And then three years later, uh, there was a passing of uh, the Hmong Veterans uh, Act. And in this one here, Lao and Hmong veterans were honored again. Uh, they led the parade uh, from the Vietnam Veterans Memorial past the White House down Pennsylvania Avenue and then to the United States Capitol. Uh, in 2002, there was a House resolution, H.R. 406, that recognized Laotian and secret war uh, guerrilla units uh, in participation with the CIA. And so you think about when the war ended, 1975, and 2002, in 2002, we finally got a resolution from Congress to recognize, to recognize the secret war uh, veterans' participation in with the CIA operations. And so you can imagine the general public uh, not knowing about this, um, which is simply because of the way the CIA had handled it. And then in 2014, 
uh, the Senate resolution was passed to recognize the Secret War veterans, and this one was done by Senator Marco uh, Rubio. And in 2015, there was a joint uh, House resolution uh, that was to support the designation of the National Lao Mong Recognition Day. And then two years after that, we have House recognition again, House resolution again to recognize now the Khmer, the Laotian, and Hmong and Mountain Yards that were supporting and defending the United States forces in Southeast Asia because you know, you can't just talk about the Vietnam War in isolation, she's just a, uh, in the borders of Vietnam. It was a spreading of the communism uh, throughout that entire region. So you have so many different countries involved in this. So finally in 2017, there was a house resolution to recognize all those Secret War veterans. It wasn't until 2018 when we, uh, our, our veterans received something that's very tangible. So for the very first time, and this was passed in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018, where they would allow Secret War veterans to be buried uh, in the national cemeteries. However, however, there was a problem with that bill. It was passed on a very, very narrow focus, and it left the vast majority of our Secret War veterans out. And the way they qualify our veterans at the time was that you would have to be naturalized uh, under the uh, Hmong Recognition Act. And so if you were naturalized prior to 2000, you wouldn't qualify. If you uh, naturalized after 2000, you wouldn't qualify. It was a specific finite in time. And as a result of that, it left out a lot of our veterans. Uh, two years after that, in 2020, we had a call with John Pence uh, who honored our Secret War veterans uh, we had one week to pull all of this together, and it's just amazing what we did. Uh, within a week, we were able to pull in uh, over 2,000 people that dialed into the call to, to, to into the system. I mean, so many people were dialing in that we actually crashed the system. I think they lost count after 2,000. So what, what is it that we're trying to do today when I say, well, we got to start to clean up the bill? Um, a new legislation that we want to pass here is to really clean up the shortfalls uh, that we saw in 2008 Consolidated Appropriations, Appropriations Act. And it's just, just so to give you a, a rough idea of who qualifies at the time, uh, so it would be defined as any individual who was naturalized pursuant to section uh, of the uh, uh, Hmong Veterans Naturalization Act of 2020. So that was, sorry, from 2000. So that was passed in 2000. And then, of course, they have to reside in the United States and you know, upon their passing, they would uh, apply for the um, burial rights. But there again, this window of time in 2000, it closes very, very quickly. Word didn't get out to our veterans, and therefore many, many people were left out. Many, many veterans were left out. So I'll just touch a little bit on how we're going to fix this, or what we call the cleanup bill. So the cleanup bill here is really going to be for any individual uh, who is naturalized, a uh, citizen of the United States, or a lawful um, admitted alien to the United States with permanent residence in the United States that served as combatants in the special guerrilla unit or irregular forces operating out uh, within the base of Laos under the command of the U.S. Ambassador to Laos or the CIA, um, that Central Intelligence Agency, uh, in support of the United States foreign policy. And so this is really important because the previously passed legislation 
only focus on those that were naturalized. What we're saying is that it should also apply to lawful aliens as well, and it does should not matter when they were naturalized. So that's that makes it a little bit more broad base, yeah. and we want to make sure. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm I'm agreeing with you. I mean, if yeah. you serve, you served, and if you're an ally of the U.S. and fought again uh, alongside the U.S., I mean, I, I agree. And I, I hope that our, our senators and Congress um, men and women who are watching the show, I hope you're shaking your head in agreement with us as well too. Uh, one of the most difficult things about the secret war, uh, not just the secret war in itself, but about refugees that come from Laos, oftentimes when we leave the country, we don't have time to pack. We just grab our clothes, uh, what we have on our back, and we just left the country. And so it's 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 almost difficult uh, in many ways uh, when we came to the refugee camp to prove your your uh, birth certificate your uh, records of services. So a lot of these things were kind of left behind. And so we want to make it easy uh, as much as possible to say that not only are you a U.S. citizen and you served between 1968 to 1975, but you can also qualify if you have original documents uh, if you, or, or you have an affidavit from the, your, your superior uh, or you have two affidavits from the individuals that serve with you in your unit and any other appropriate documents uh, to prove that you did serve uh, during that time and you were part of the SGU unit. So when I say appropriate documents, what I'm referencing here is when we came through the refugee camp, it's a two-year vetting period. So any individuals that claim to be part of the military forces or fought in the SEU they have to go through a series of tests and be certified by the CIA, right? So some of that documentation we know exists within the immigration department, but these departments are not talking to each other. And so we want to encourage the CIA, the Secretary of War, to be able to contact the Immigration Services Department and say, give us all of the documents you have on these individuals that are applying for burial rights. They need to be able to certify them. Uh, and of course, we also want to make it um, so that the, the spouses, right, the spouses of, of the veterans, they know their husband, they know where they're out on mission, right? Uh, take their testimony, take their affidavit. Uh, that should count as well, too. And the other thing that we also want to solve as part of the previously passed legislation is that it only gives burial rights or a plot of land. Uh, Michelle, as you know, in our culture, most of us go through cremation. So what we're asking for here is not a giant, you know, a uh, big plot of land. We're basically looking for a small area uh, in the National Cemetery Mausoleum where the remains of the veterans can be stored in there as an urn. So we're hoping that um, because of, of the limited amount of space, uh, land that's available in national cemeteries, what we're proposing here would be more likely acceptable because we're not asking for six feet of, of you know, land, right? It's just maybe six or seven inches of, uh, of within the, the mausoleum. Um, so with all that said, I know there's a lot to take in. Uh, with all that said, uh, the, the, my closing comment to this is that, you know, the secret war is really an extension of the Vietnam War. Uh, the operation was in, within the borders of Laos. Uh, so even though it was in a different country, it had a different label to it. 
they call it the secret war, but what it really is, is just the extension of the Vietnam War. And the communist Northern Vietnamese forces, uh, like Paul Med said, they were transporting supplies through Laos so they can get down to South Vietnam to bypass the, the parallel line where the defense was with the US military forces. They carved into the borders of Laos along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and they were bringing supplies down to South Vietnam. So that's why when you look at the history books, there's a lot of bombing along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And for that reason, they were doing that to cut off the supplies uh, from the North Vietnamese going to the South. And so the SGU forces uh, were formed as part of the CIA uh, military uh, strategy uh, to combat against the uh, North Vietnamese. So they went and they recruited Hmong, Mien, Camus, many different ethnic groups in Laos. And they also recruited Royal Lao Army military personnel for the CIA operations. So the CIA wanted to launch an offensive using SGU units in Region 2, which is the northern part of Laos, and also in Region 3 and 4 along the, the border of, of Vietnam, towards Baxe, towards the south, where the heavy fighting was. And then they would launch U.S. military uh, Navy forces from the Gulf of uh, Tonkin to squeeze in with the, uh, to squeeze in the North Vietnamese uh, from all sides, right? From the sea, from the north, from the south, and also from the borders of Laos. However, because of, of political pressure in the Vietnam War at home, this plan was abandoned. But we had a, a great deal of, of military forces that were forming up for that assault. So during that time, uh, I want all of us to remember that, you know, our SGU veterans rescued American pilots. They supported and defended U.S. military personnel, right? So when we talk about the Vietnam War, without talking, that's, you know, we can't talk about the secret war. When we talk about the secret war, we have to talk about the Vietnam War as well. So I want to impress upon all of our viewing audience that your support of the burial rights for our Secret War veterans is the same as you supporting the Vietnam veterans, right? So we need your support from the general public. We need you to write to, you, to your congressmen and to your senators to support this bill. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. And very quickly, uh, just to wrap up our segment, and it's not enough time, by the way. I mean, we need to be telling more of our stories um, and there's going to be a way in which we can do that going forward and including Lao history in the textbooks. And we're gonna talk about that in the next segment. But very quickly, if people want to find out more information and hear uh, uh, more stories from our veterans, where can they do that? Yeah, we have a website, uh, the Royal Lao Army uh, website. Uh, it's a, <clears throat> you, you'll go in there, there there'll be uh, different uh, menus in there. Yeah. So you can click on the Secret War Veterans Benefits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The website, what's the website? Oh, the website. Right. Let me, uh, let me pull that up here. One second. Uh, should have had it down, but I don't. Let me, let me just go back here and pull it up. So it is unitedroyallaoveterans.org. So again, that's United. Royal Lao Veterans.org. At this time, I want to ask Allie and Polly to come back on to help us say goodbye to all of you. 
um, thank you so much for your service and thank you for continuing to, to fight and put our history out there and make sure people know that we need to take care of our Lao American veterans as well. So, so deep my to all of you, Paulung and, and David and for all your work. Thank you. Thank you, our veterans, for your service. Up next is Bobby Udinarat of Lao SD and Alex C. Livat of Ninja Foods. Yum, right? Who are very active in sharing Lao culture and history. Bobby, Alex, so deep my. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Wow. That was a lot um, yeah. to, to take great, in. Though. Yeah. And, you know, as far as the, the stories from the Secret War veterans, but Bobby, you play a very important role in making sure that people like me and the generations after really know our history and how, how much Lao Americans do are a part of the U.S. politics. Tell us about AB, AB 1393. Sure. Thank you so much, first and foremost, Michelle, for having me and Lao SD here to talk about and share LaoSD's platform and specifically AB 1393. So I really appreciated the stories from Lung Chanto and Lung Met that we just heard about because that's direct evidence of our involvement, Lao Americans' involvement in the Vietnam War, the Secret War. And so to understand AB 1393, you have to go back to understanding a bill that passed. SB 895 passed in August of 2018. And what SB 895 stated was that in the K through uh, 12 California curriculum school system, they would teach the Vietnam American refugee stories. They would teach the Cambodian genocide stories, the Hmong history and cultural studies. So, when we heard about this, the Lao Americans up and down the state and all over were very excited for the Southeast Asian communities. We said, finally, we can be brought into the conversation uh, and represent it as part of American history uh, with what we deserve. And, um, and with that said, um, AB 1393 was a response for the omission of uh, inclusion of Lao Americans, Laos as a country being involved in the Vietnam War, in the secret war that you just heard about. And AB 1393 was a response and a cleanup bill for SB 895. And so Lao SD was an organization that was born to respond to and, and create this cleanup bill. And big shout out to San Diego, because that's where this all started. But I also want to give credit to all of the Lao American leaders up and down the state of California, who were very much a part of and, uh, you know, help us drive for the bipartisan unanimous um, support and approval of AB 1393 that was submitted. And so at this point, I will share that AB 1393 um, was put on pause with because of the controversies related to ethnic studies that happened in late 2019. And uh, but what's exciting and I'm super happy to share is that ethnic studies in March this spring of 2021 was approved 
And, and what that is opening up is pathways and lanes back for conversations with AB 1393. And so what Lao SD would like to share with you all is that uh, we're gonna come back into the conversation and scene full force. This is where Lao Americans can really advocate, support, and join the mission because AB 1393 is gonna open up more than just inclusion for us into the K through 12 curriculum. It will connect and, and heal past traumas for our fathers, our grandparents, stories like Uncle and Lung, uh, Med and Janto that you just heard about, they will have a chance to heal and and it will also make the you know younger generations today feel and 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 know that we are here, we're welcome here. This is now our country. Initially, we didn't choose to leave our birthland. Nobody wants to leave their birthland. But because Laos made a call to help humanity fight the spread of communism, our country was destroyed. We either had to leave and seek a better life in America or stay and die. The Lao Americans that you all know and live and are thriving here today made that decision to leave. And as a result, we are here, we're thriving, and we want to fight for inclusion and voice. And so when our children, our present children, see our history, it will absolutely help them thrive. And so that's really AB 1393 in a nutshell. Um, what I also want to highlight here and take the time to also elevate is our youth leaders. We have LaoSD's platform is to build succession planning. So it's not enough that we have to advocate for the Lao American community today, but we have to build succession planning and make sure we're highlighting, elevating youth leadership so that they can continue to bear the torch and take on the baton. And so today I actually wanna take some time to highlight uh, our creative director, Sarita Siri, who is, I'm super proud of her, her work. She is, doing the uh, first, this documentary that, that you probably have seen the trailer for, Come Undone. And this documentary will connect the past, talk about the present and show us the future is bright. Unlike past documentaries that have been done on these Vietnam War, the secret war, refugee experiences, it focused mostly on the traumas related to the incidences and the war. This documentary is going to focus around the Lao spirit, the strength, the courage, the perseverance, and how through all of that, we're here, we're thriving. And, you know, especially in today's climate where anti-Asian hate is happening, it's really relevant to tell our story and show that America's our home too, and we matter. And, and in that, it's okay to celebrate your heritage. It's okay to be proud of your heritage. And at the same time, be proud to be American and together being Lao American makes you that much more powerful and strong. And in our landscape that we have today, 
We have a lot of Lao Americans in the spaces of, you know, all the different professions, right? I mean, here alone, we see entrepreneurs like Alex. We see you, Mel, talk show host, right? Entertainer. We see in the panel here alone, representation of thriving Lao Americans who are contributing to the American fabric. And so that's why it's important to speak about SB 895, how AB 1393 is a cleanup bill, and then together with the upcoming documentary that our creative director, Suri, uh, Sarita Suri, is working on and will be showcased in a couple months here, it opens up the conversation with our Lao American communities, but also together with mainstream non-Lao Americans, because it's not enough to just talk about it amongst ourselves and socialize that. I think it's important for us to know about our history, but it is critical and essential that non-Lao Americans also understand and together in this climate of diversity inclusion, this will help everybody and will help make the US will help make the world a better place for all. Um, the last thing I want to do a little shout out for too is for those who may not be aware of and know the work of Lao SD. I did want to highlight a few things. And so in very short order, when we form as a response to SB89 to AB uh, AB 1393, in a year and a pandemic year, we were able to be the first Lao American organization, nonprofit organization to get unanimous bipartisan support of a legislative bill. And from that, we were trailblazers and set the tone and stage for other communities in other states to follow suit. And from that, they've taken it as an example and done the same things at different states for different reasons. Uh, Lao SD also brought census 2020 into the conversation made registration and voting uh, awareness campaigns. We also successfully hosted and launched the biggest refugee fundraiser for Lao American community. So lots of highlights, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so as I sit here, I wanna encourage and welcome Lao American youth, Lao American community to more than ever speak up and stand up for our rights and causes important to our community. And only when we can stand up together, lock arms and ask for the things that we want in life, can we make the big step momentum into the right direction, coupled with supporters from the outside communities. The future is bright for us Laotian Americans, but <laughs> it absolutely will begin with the completion of AP. B393, which we will continue conversation in the coming year here. So thank you, Michelle. I know that's a lot of sharing from Lao SD and all the things that we're working on, but I really do appreciate the opportunity to be part of this important panel and celebrate Lao New Year with everyone. Yeah, so. celebrate Lao New Year, our culture, our history. Bobby, thank you so much and to Lao SD for all the work that you're doing to carry on our history. And in, in, I know, Bobby, you're also a foodie, and you mentioned this actually in your, your talk, the, the speech that you just made, but sharing our, our culture is so important because it connects us to other people. And Lao food, you know, Lao food, I feel like 
there is a movement, by the way, and Alex will talk about it. Um, we're starting to get the the spotlight, which I'm so excited and happy for. But even that was a little bit of a secret because Americans were thinking of Lao food as if it was Thai food, and it's not. It's Lao food. So Alex, I said it earlier, you know, to have a, the first national brand of instant papaya sauce. Yeah. <laughs> dream come true for a second generation Lao American like me where I can just throw it in there and, and mix yeah. it all up. Tell us about this yeah. instant papaya salad sauce. Well, before before I get started with the um, ninja sauce, I just wanted to add that uh, um, Ninja Foods was also, you know, a part of uh, supporting Lao SD too. We actually went to support their events out in San Diego. So uh, we just saw that it was something really great that they were doing, trying to put Lao history um, in the cur curriculum uh, in California. And then we also had hopes that maybe if they got that passed in California, it would go nationwide and um, Arkansas would have it too. So, you know. So that's something really great and that we're proud of that they're doing also. So, um, so our papaya sauce. Okay, so it just kind of started out on my accident. Uh, how we got came about, you know. Um, uh, it was uh, we started with me and my wife. Uh, we were she was busy working that day, and I was just kind of bored because I already had all my work done. And then I was just looking through the fridge, and there was like a Thai instant papaya sauce that came from Thailand and we tasted it and we're like oh this is great but we don't have anything here in the U.S. and nobody really knows about this brand it's like I think this is something we can do because we already love to eat papaya salad so I just put something together that day and had her taste it and she was like oh this is great you know I think we should, we have a great product here and I was like Hmm, is this gonna work is people really gonna like eat this you know because um like you said our Lao food is really uh, behind Thai food. We have Lao food in Thai restaurants, but we really don't call it Lao food. It's like a secret menu or something like that. So yeah. And so um, we took a jump with it and came out with the product. I have our product here with us and it actually worked. <laughs> I like tried a lot of things, you know, being an entrepreneur, I like did probably 10 different things and it never worked. And this kind of worked out for us, you know, so I think I struck, we called it, um, what's it? I forgot what we called it, but something like gold sauce or something like that. Yeah, that whenever we make like big batches of these, we're like, we better protect this with our whole life because it's like gold. <laughs> so yeah, we're in um, 50 states right now. I've uh, been in business for five years. I think almost six years, six years this year. So yeah, it's doing great. So. I say, you know, it, you haven't had the real papaya salad unless you've had Lao papaya salad because yeah Bobby I think that you can um add to this that papaya salad is actually Lao food isn't it papaya salad and actually I posted this the other day and I dedicated <laughs> my post to the Lao sisters I said Lao papaya salad is food of the goddesses Sorry, <laughs> and anyone watching here if you're a non-Lao sister let me tell you something. <laughs> you haven't lived until you tried the savory, the sweet, the sour, mm -hmm. the spinach, yeah. the, the pet mommy. Yes. Spicy. Yes. I will I tell you it's a party for sure. And yeah. if you haven't tried it, I invite you to try it. And I promise you, it it, it is the food of the goddesses. 
Okay, what's the secret sauce? So what's, what, can you tell us? Yeah, it's, the ingredients are all back here. It's no secret. It's just, um, we have, okay, there's fish sauce in here, uh, limes, chili peppers, sugar, shrimp paste, uh, crab paste, salt. It's not salt. It's just salt added with the crab. So, and then um, MSG. Yeah, you got to have your MSG. It's not going to be sap, so. <laughs> there's actually controversy around msg right now do you yeah. know about this yeah yeah we do we do yeah um of course because our product has msg in it and i think um anything in moderation even if you intake sugar or salt too much of that is not good for you so anything in moderation i think it's, you'll be good you'll be fine yeah you gotta have some flavor so, <laughs> uh, so explain explain the fish sauce part because i think you know some people might mistake it as just the watered down vinaigrette, you know, they call it. Oh, okay. Yeah. um, This is actually, it's almost like how you would make it at home. It's really pungent. So a lot of people, whenever they order this and they, they like, Ooh, I smelled it from miles away. This has got to be good, you know, because it's really pungent. Um, We made it like just how we would eat it at home. It's hard to get it right. You know, and everybody has different flavors Sometimes they have, you know, a sweet flavor or a sour flavor or salty. And so it's really hard to, to get correct. And so we just put it in a jar for everybody to make it easier for them. So, yeah. And also it's versatile too. Um, a lot of people use it as a barbecue marinade. And also you could use it as um, the fermented fish sauce, like badak, um, to put in uh, gangnamai, the bamboo soup thing. <laughs> or they, they use it as... A dipping sauce. Uh, a lot of our Vietnamese customer uses that a uh, spring roll dipping sauce. So there's no wrong way to use ninja sauce besides papaya salad. So okay, people this get creative. Uh, for both of you, and I think you know, for the longest time, at least for me, badak or lao food uh, was a secret because I was kind of scared and ashamed to share it. Um, you know, it's funk, and and you know, the kids when I used to try to share my food when I was a kid. Oh, okay. people would tell me that you know it smells of course it does but how did how did you both you know overcome that and reach oh, okay. food as your your pride and joy um I've always been very cultured so it wasn't really uh, hard for me but I know it was hard for other people um when I was younger I was the only Asian kid at my school <laughs> And so people would be really intrigued and like wanting to know, you know, where you're from. And, you know, I love to share. I would teach them how to speak Lao and share the food. And they love anything barbecue and the sticky rice is yum. And then um, a lot of my uh, the, the, the Mexican friends, they love the spiciness of it. So um, I would always share the food with them in this area. And it's Arkansas, you know, it's out in the boonies. Uh, we really don't have a lot of um, diversity here until just recently, maybe about 10 years ago. And um, growing up, we would have culture day and stuff. I'd always bring papaya salad, share it with everybody, and people would love it. Sometimes we think they're scared of it because it's going to be different. But I think you just, you know, share what you're eating. They like it. They like it. They don't like it. And that's fine, too. So I, I have no problem with just sharing Lao food and loud culture with everybody. I just love it. I think it's beautiful. So yeah, I, I would agree. For me, it's about presentation. So the food always has mm-hmm. to look beautiful. It has mm-hmm. to be good. And I like to introduce our food in moderation and in small 
portion mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and almost acclimate them a little at a time. Yeah. And that's Just what I've done. <laughs> exactly. And and the other thing that I've done with fish sauce, for example, is mm-hmm. describe it in a way to something similar or familiar that they're aware of. So when I introduce fish sauce, I'll talk about it as a flavoring agent like anchovies in Caesar salad, Mm -hmm. like anchovies in a puttanesca, uh, you know, Italian dish. And so Mm -hmm. when you describe it in ways that they can understand, then they get excited. And plus I lead it up to it and I explain (laughs) to them and get them all excited, jazzed up with pictures and the history. And by the time they eat it, they can appreciate it and have the history and the connection. So I've yet to have anybody say, no, thank you. Everyone yeah. has been a lover of what I've introduced to them. And yes. I, I will share you with you guys a funny story. I did break up with a boyfriend in college mm-hmm. because he was not open to. So all the single men and, and ladies out there, if you're not open to trying new things, you're missing out on something that could be fabulous. If they love you, they have to love all of you, including exactly. your badak too. And I, I say, well, how do you, how else do you think we got so sexy? It's not <laughs> No, we never grow old. No, <laughs> We're gonna live forever. It's, um, it's a spice. <laughs> but Bobby, really quick, you have the two most adorable boys and uh, growing you know one I think is preteen now I, I follow you on social media but um, I love seeing posts of them and you do such a great job I assume so because they love Lao food and they're very into Lao culture uh, you know they're going to be what fourth generation Lao Americans no actually that's the the surprising thing most people think I've been here a long time but actually I'm a first generation I was born in Laos I came here when I was six years old. And it's so important to teach your children and future generations about your heritage and culture. I do this every day with my children. I teach them, I introduce to them our culture, our food. They're involved with me with community service initiatives that that help Lao Americans, but also help other communities too. I'm huge on diversity and inclusion. And I really talk with them about a full spectrum of how it's important to help others. And that is the, love is the key to humanity's problems. And so I go back to that. And, and, and for me, it's about making sure they understand and will forever be proud of their Lao American heritage. You can't be who you are without knowing where you came from. So that's that's why I do what I do with my my children. And they love it. Uh, Their favorite, simple, but their favorite remains sticky rice with Lao beef jerky sin savan. And and I make it into little balls with the the meat on top. And (laughs) they will eat that up and ask for two more plates. So, yes. so that's why, Michelle, but I really appreciate you uh, bringing that up because they are my heart. Yeah. And Alex, the same thing um, kind of for you. I don't know if you have children, but, uh, you, you know, you obviously are bringing Lao culture, Lao food into many kitchens, many homes. And so you kind of your final thoughts on making sure that we just share all this goodness. Yeah. Um, I just say, you know, we're, we're, we're checking 
in a positive way right now with everybody coming out, wanting to be more loud. Back then, I think about 10 or 20 years ago, nobody knew where Laos was. And now we're trending in TV, in music, in food, in, in almost everything. And so whatever we are doing right now is great. And I think we should keep that up, you know, speak loud in the home, teach your kids about the culture, have them eat the food and just, you know, keep going at it. And one day they won't ask, where's Laos at, you know? So, yeah. That's so awesome. Alex, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. And Sabayadi, be mine. Thank you again. Thank for you all the- so much for having me. Thank you. Foods, Lao SD, check them out. Make sure you follow their work. And of course, if you're in California, let's push for AB 1393 and support the work of Lao SD. And you can find, you know, this instant papaya salad sauce at an Asian store near you. It's Ninja mm-hmm. Foods. Thank you, Bobby and Alex, for all the work in making sure Lao history and culture is being shared. Up next is Nang Pi, or Horror Films, with the first and only female film director in Laos, Maddie Du. วันนี้จะได้ยินเสียงคุณฮ้องมั้ยมันเหงาหลายได้นับตั้งแต่เอลิมตาบอดเมื่อนึงที่ตื่นขึ้นมาคือโลกหน่วยนี้มันแคบล
ได้ยินไทยบ้านเขาซาว่าเจ้าสามารถลมกับวิญญาณได้ก็เลยอยากให้เจ้าหันซอยถามวิญญาณเราเบิ้งว่าศพของเราอยู่ไหนเมื่อตายไปแล้วกระบุนยังเปลี่ยนแปลงคนเป็นบ้าก็ยังเป็นบ้าคือเก่าThank you so much for joining us from from Lao. Are you in Vientiane? From actual Lao, yeah. From Vientiane, Sabaidi, so maybe my. How's it going over there with with New Year's? Um, what's it like right now? Um, to be honest, it's subdued because anybody who's ever been to Lao during New Year times, like I was telling you earlier, um, it's wild. It's like Cancun has never seen anything like it, and this year. It feels almost normal because you hear. I, if you listen really closely, you can hear like loud parties on our street, but they're only house parties. So we're not shutting down like the streets. We didn't shut down the entire riverside. There's no concert. By the way, you Normally, look gorgeous. It looks like you had a really nice dinner. So I'm glad nobody splashed water on you. That's a really. I know. I would be so angry if someone got this silk. It's like my friend wove this for me. It's like one of my like most favorite special pieces. <laughs> Like she has actually been given the position to like preserve our our weaving habits and our weaving arts um, with all the tribal ethnicities and etc. Too. So her, her boutique is called Kan Kan Silk Gallery K H A N G. Her name is Vian Kan, and before she did Kan, her and her sister had a super famous silk shop called a Peng Mai. Um, you actually lived here in the U.S. You were born in the U.S. and you yes. moved back to Laos. Let's start there and the decision to move back to Laos. It wasn't like an active decision or anything. I came to see my dad because I thought my dad was going nuts. You know, like we lost our mother when I was about 25, and my dad was going back and forth between Thailand, Laos, and America, and he was just lonely. So he was like trying to get hooked up, and the first wife that he had was not a fun situation. They were not compatible. And then, uh, so he came back to the states and just realized he wasn't happy at home. He, it felt like he was just, you know, festering in the home where my mother passed away. So he went back to Lao, and we were all really worried because, really, you want to go back to the place where you met mom? Like that's going to make you even more sad, like the nostalgia, right? Mm. And turns out, like he ended up meeting someone else here, and we just wanted to like make sure it wasn't going to be the same situation where he was just like jumping in head first. You know, not really thinking about whether they were good for each other or not, and so we had an intervention. Like my family had an intervention, and my brothers were like, "We can't leave. We can't go to Lao because we have government jobs." And I was the artist. I was a ballet dancer. I was a ballet teacher. And at that time, I had just like gone through a really stressful period where I like had a changeover of uh, directorship at our ballet conservatory. And I needed a break, so I was like, "Fine, me and Chris, 
the writer who could just take a laptop, will go to Lao and check on dad. And it was meant to be only like a summer thing, um, but we took our dog with us. And since my dog was already there, we realized like, there was really little that that like was calling us back. And you know, we had, dad didn't need a lot of care, but dad needed someone to look, you know, just keep an eye on him. <laughs> and then it turned out that like we ended up settling here, not because we were like, oh, I want to go back to Lao or I want to rediscover Lao, like by no means, we totally did it out of necessity, yeah. <laughs> out of necessity and family. Yeah, so you kind of rolled into Lao in this way, but you also kind of rolled into filmmaking. It's not like, I mean, some, you know, a lot of people think, or they have this dream where they're gonna be the first female president. They're gonna be the first no, you know, never. female <laughs> astronaut to land on a different planet. I don't think that it was in your, uh, you know, it was in, it was part of your dream that you set out this goal to become the first and only female film director in Laos. It all just kind of happened and fell into place and was very accidental. And so honestly, like my, my background in ballet conservatory and ballet uh, performance transitioned super well. It transitioned really well in the filmmaking, but that was never the intention or the goal. And honestly, Michelle, I think I think that going to Lao without any expectation helped a lot. I mean, was there anything about moving to Lao and then taking up a whole new different career direction that posed maybe not a challenge, but something new or different that you had to adjust to? I mean, the work ethic in Lao is very different. And that was a very difficult adjustment for me. Um, I think many foreigners find the work ethic adjustment super difficult but you know um I think what was hardest was because I was coming from a ballet background uh which was very Russian and the discipline and the strictness and the harshness the bluntness in the way we speak to each other in ballet was very difficult for Lao people to transition to in the beginning so when I first started working in Lao I think that um there are a lot of people that were really taken aback by my very forward and direct attitude. I mean, in my personality, naturally, even without ballet is very much like that anyway. I think that was the most difficult adjustment. Of course, language, like we always, um, the language has evolved a lot since the, since the early 70s and the late 60s. And people don't realize that. Like if you were to speak to someone from 1960s America, they'd be like saying, Ruby, you're one cool cat. And you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and that's how Lao Americans speak. Like Lao Americans are still like Noi Kanoi and stuff like that. We never use the word Kanoi anymore. You don't? Like, never. Like never. Okay, wait, if wait. You use the word Kanoi, they're like, what are you from some kind of period film? Like I want to talk about this because so my wife like, is Paisan. So she's she's from Udon. But when yeah. she heard me speak, um, you know, Lao, Laolish, yeah. whatever Lao that <laughs> I, I have, um, she was laugh she was giggling. She was like, you sound like yeah. an elderly person. Like who, who yes. taught you how to speak Lao? So how, you, you don't use Kanoi like elderly. You sound like a period film to us. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah, like with the princesses, like Bridgerton. You guys sound like Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know like if any of the uh, storylines if they were inspired by your personal stories? Gently less so, but uh, Dear Sister and uh, Long Walk both are heavily inspired by my real life. Uh, Dear Sister was from an experience that my mother had where she had had a, 
a dream, like a nightmare, I guess, of um, her, her aunt. I mean, we called her aunt, but I think she's actually a cousin, an older cousin, visiting her. And um, it was so scary. Like she was pale and wet and trying to speak to my mother and she looked really cold and she couldn't speak to my mother. So my mother woke up and was just like freaking out. And so we all woke up because my mother was doing stuff around the house and woke us up. And when we asked her what was going on, she said like she'd had this nightmare about her aunt coming to visit her. And her aunt was basically her adoptive mother. Like she took care of her and being Jen. And my mother would go home on weekends to take care of care of her other siblings but she went to school and lived at this woman's house and grew up there um and we were just like okay she had a bad dream just like go to bed whatever and it was in the middle of the night in the states I remember this like super clearly it was before my little brother was born and as we were all going back in our rooms um after my dad reassured her it was nothing then the phone rang and it literally it's like two or three a.m Michelle and it was our relatives here calling her to tell her that um, our relative had passed away and had been caught in a storm and died of exposure. So she fell into the river and then her husband dragged her out. And while they weathered out the storm, the wife died from exposure because the temperature drop was, the temperature drop was too extreme and she was wet. So she, she died of hypothermia. And it stuck out in my head, like always that my mother had had this visitation, but it wasn't like, how would you find that that's it wasn't even really a ghost or a spiritual visitation it was almost like a premonition do you know what I mean because she knew that my aunt had passed away before she had passed away and I remember thought, thinking like oh this is so odd that sounds like when people have twins and they realize that their twin is under duress or something you know that's what it reminded me of and so that's where dear sister came from Whereas uh, Long Walk is heavily based on my mother herself passing away and she had cancer and had to, um, she refused treatment and it, it was like stage three cancer. So like there was nothing that could have been done. She said, why would I stay alive uh, with chemotherapy and in pain when the doctors have already basically said like, it's not treatable, like it's spread through my body. So what you like, you milk out a few more weeks of me being alive, but in complete agony. Like, no, just let me go. When the time comes, you'll know. But I don't want to. I don't want to pursue treatment. And then after um, we moved to Lao, that dog that I told you about, Mango, who moved to Lao with us, he passed away when he was about seventeen, um, in twenty sixteen, and it affected us so much because it. You know, it sounds disrespectful, but it reminded me of my mother too. He also had cancer and he couldn't tell us that he was in pain. He couldn't tell us when it was time for him to go. And my husband and I had to choose to euthanize him, which is really difficult in Lao, by the way, because I think because of our Buddhist nature in Lao. And so we made the decision, but Michelle, it was, it plagues us to this day. We're like, you feel this guilt, like, did I do the right thing? Like that dog can't ask us. Mango can't tell us that it's time to go, you know? And um, and that's where Long Walk came from with that whole, like that dark feeling of regret and grief and the euthanasia sprinkled through it. Well, do you think that you've opened the doors now for future female filmmakers in Laos? I think I've proved that you don't have to have like, 
you don't have to have a penis hanging between your legs to make a film. I do think that I've done that pretty well here. Um, I, I mean, like I have this profile that I recorded for my friend once where I was like, you don't need cock and balls to make a film because nobody's hanging their camera off of that. Like, seriously, it would be so uncomfortable to try and hang a 20 pound camera rig off of that. Like, don't need that. You don't need that. <laughs> Neither does it affect the way you think or tell a story, right? So um, I do think that in that regard, I have, I have like trained so many women into key positions here in Laos. Um, I have not found the one who is going to be able to do a feature film like I have yet, but then like my assistant who is my line producer or a unit production manager, she keeps us all alive on set. Like she puts out all the fires that we start. <laughs> She's the one who's organizing everything. Like she is God on set. And she started out just being the young girl from the company that would just bring our lunch to us. Like she would just show up at 12 and like bring us food. And then she'd show up again at 6.30 and bring us more food. And that's how she started incidentally. And now you'll see her name in the credits for Dear Sister and in uh, Long Walk that she's like the freaking unit production manager. It's insane. And the girl that first started out as an intern on Dear Sister for uh, Wardrobe was our key wardrobe girl. Like our key wardrobe, she designed, not designed because a lot of costumes are required. She sourced and planned and like, organized all the costumes for a long walk with our art department. And all these women that I have first started with are like in huge key positions now. There are women now making uh, short films. Um, they feel very inspired, but I, I do think that there's a negative effect that I have and I feel really bad about this, but like, what can I do? And that is like, they, a lot of young women in lab see my rapid progression and they're intimidated. They think like, how can I ever do that? Like, I, I can never be like Maddie Doe. And I'm really trying hard to like, like, like dispel that idea because like a lot of these girls have a lot of media experience. They've worked in commercial or communication. Some of them have gone to school uh, for this and they look at me and they think, oh, I can't see what she's doing. But the reality is I didn't even go to school for this. I never worked in media or communications. I never worked in any way like close to film besides like being a makeup girl in Italy once because I needed enough money to buy my point shoes <laughs> and so I, I always just want to put it out there that if I can do it I mean it's hard work like it's crazy hard work I work my guts out but if I can do it then like you can set your mind on it and do it too and I think that um that's my biggest message to young Lao women here um, and hopefully, hopefully it will happen. But I think a lot of young Lao women see that like the progression is like this and they're like, whoa, like I can't do that. They get shy and they get, uh, in our language we say kaboka, like the, the daring. They're afraid to take that first step. They're afraid to fail. And the reality is like, I went in completely ready to fail. And I think that that's a big difference. Like if you go in and you're ready to fail and you're aware that you're gonna fail, it helps a lot because then you take a lot of risks that you wouldn't normally take because you're like, oh, I'm going to suck anyway. It's okay. <laughs> Maddie, thank you so much for being our badass sister um, and uh, in Lao. And, and thank you for making history. Thank you for making films. And thank you for being fun and being here with <laughs> us. So, so thank you. And hopefully one day we'll, we'll be able to meet in person. 
I hope that you and your wife can come to Lao. I think you guys would have so much fun. Oh, and your mom, tell her like, it's very hard to come back to Lao uh, if she doesn't have a passport. Super hard to get a visa to come back. But if she can, like, it is a lot safer. <laughs> right now like she can live a completely normal life she can go with all her little auntie friends to the market and like have dinner outside together and go to like the temple parties and stuff all the time and like it, it would be paradise for an old auntie like your mom <laughs> <laughs> i'll let her know have a good evening maddie and happy birthday again Thank bye. You, Michelle. Okay. bye take care Oh, wow. Oh, Maddie Doe, thank you so much for putting Lao stories out there into the global world. And all her films have garnered international praise and we're so proud. And tonight we are so proud. And thank you, both of you, Allie and Polly, uh, for creating the space for us to do this tonight and being a part of history and celebrating Lao New Year at the Commonwealth Club of California. And so thank you for your support. Thank you to our speakers tonight, Bobby, Alex, David, uh, Paulung Med, and also Paulung Chanto, and for your service. This has been incredible. Mm -hmm.